Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome along to this week's Rugby Tonight podcast. I'm Nick Mullins and we are in West London this week, being looked after by Ealing Trailfinders who've pushed Bristol all the way in the championship this season. They're second. They have been the major challengers and they are significantly upwardly mobile. Hugo's with us this week. First time here, first time at that. You've probably driven by here a million times, Hugues, but... This is seriously impressive, isn't it? Unbelievable. You can absolutely see as to why they're a team that are flourishing in the championship. Um, the facility's incredible. I've got to say I'm very envious of all the players that get to play here because it's, it's a lovely place to be, isn't it? We'll talk more about the trail finders and also obviously celebrate Bristol's promotion back to the Premiership a, a bit later on. But what else have we got, Yeats? That's it, well, with an exciting weekend of the Aviva Premiership. To ah, talk- ah, ah, breaking news. Oh, we'll me. also talk about the Premiership's new sponsors. It won't be the Aviva Premiership next season it'll be the Gallagher Premiership more on that as okay, well well there is on. breaking news from Nick Mullins you heard it here first we discussed the fight for those top four spots the rise of northern clubs and of course all the other news from a busy week in the world of rugby and we'll be um, hearing exclusively as well from Sale Sharks director of rugby Steve Diamond ahead of a crucial game against Newcastle this weekend if we can get a place in the Champions Cup it'd be brilliant at this moment in time I think our ambitions are a bit higher than that as well as that, we will also hear from Diamond's counterpart at the Falcons, Dean Richards, uh, who's been reflecting on the news of John Kingston's departure from Quinns. Nick Kennedy is a really bright individual who understands the game well. John Kingston, likewise, Marlene Johnson, Jim Marlene, they all understand the game incredibly well. So let's get straight into this week's big story, Hughes. Uh, John Kingston leaving Quinns at the end of the season. We know that they've been poor this season. It's not maybe the biggest surprise in the world, but... That defeat against London Irish at the weekend was an absolute shocker, and, and that was the final story. Yeah, it definitely was. I don't think you see a team underperform as badly as what Harlequins do. You've only got to go through a team sheet to see the quality they've got there to not realise that things aren't quite right. And unfortunately, with Johnny's position as DOR, he's unfortunately had to fall on his sword. And do you know, it's a really sad day for John. It's a sad day for Harlequins. Um, we're talking about a guy who spent 17 years at the club. You've grown up with him. I mean, he was, he was there when you first turned up at the place. 2001, my first contract. I think he came and watched my first game against London Irish at Sunbury. Um, he's a guy I've grown up with. I've seen his family grow up, his, his two girls um, at the club. Um, so in terms of emotionally how I feel about it, honestly, it's, it's really, really sad. Um, but from a performance perspective, 
I completely understand as to why they've made this decision. Um, there's been grumblings um, for a little while um, amongst players and fans, and I just think that the club needs to go in a new direction. As to who that guy's going to be, I'm not quite sure. But Nick, you know, I've played with the guy. He's been my head coach, has been my DOI, but I also know he's a really good friend of yours. As well. Yeah, he is. He's, he's, a, he's a good mate, John. And um, I always think in these situations uh, about the family as well. And I, I, I'm absolutely thrilled that the reaction you normally get on Twitter, on social media, after a sacking, actually didn't happen this yeah, week. Yeah, that's um, true. You know, most people went on with, with the view that it was probably time for a change. But John's a great bloke. And let's not forget what he's done for the club and, 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 and where he was and the way he helped pull it up towards those title-winning years. Let's, let's not forget that. And I, I actually found that, that really heartening, that, yeah. that, you know, time for a change but it doesn't make John any less of a good guy. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. He was the head coach when he won the Premiership in 2012. Um, had some incredible times of him, some wonderful moments. And I just, in this period where, of course, it's slight doom and gloom that people do just take a second to remember the great stuff he did. I think it's sometimes unfortunate that fans don't get to fully appreciate everything which is done in terms of the culture, the attitude, the work which he's done, um, implementing staff, they don't get to see that. Um, professional sport, you're judged on 80 minutes, and, and that's it. The rest of it almost doesn't matter to everyone else, but it does. So he's put a wonderful building block in stage with the squad he's got. Um, I text him. I text him on, on Monday night, and I'm sure he had a million and one texts. And uh, he was upset, of course disappointed, but he still firmly believes they're a good squad, and hopefully that squad will be the legacy which he leaves. Yeah, and he's, he's, you know, he's, he's surrounded by a great family as well at the moment. Sarah, his wife, and uh, his, his, his two daughters. And I won't be too trite about this, but I think it is too easy sometimes when we talk about who's next to be sacked, who's going to come in, that we, we don't park our humanity on weeks like this. A bloke's lost his job. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and the family have to try and pick up the pieces. And, you know, I, I, I think we need to be better than just saying good residence to, to, to a guy who's... who's He's not, you know, done as much as he would have wanted to do at the club this season. And, I, you know, I really, I really feel that that has come across this week. And, I, you know, I'm sure that, that John has a future in the game somewhere because he's, he's got a brilliant season. Yeah, you're absolutely right. He's one of the most intelligent men that I've ever come across. Um, he's undoubtedly probably the most passionate and emotional guy um, that's at Harlequins or now just left Harlequins. I think that rugby intellect, premiership intellect, which he has would be a shame if it was lost. You know, we could say that alongside Jim Mallander and Nick Kennedy, we're talking about three good men. And I've got to say, the overwhelming response for all of those guys, and this week it's been John Kingston, is that people just, they love him. They love the man. Uh, everyone kind of retelling good stories. No doubt you'll catch up with him and have a, have a good <laughs> he's a danger. He's a, he's, a, he's a dangerous man. You've had some great nights he's, out uh, there. Uh, apparently. <laughs> apparently. None of, none of them are, 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 are spring to mind immediately. You know, the, the wider um, consequence of this is that, is that club by club, bloke by bloke, there are fewer and fewer British coaches in the English Premiership. Um, Baxter, McCall, Richards, Diamond and Die Young. It, it, is that a concern or are we making a fuss about nothing? It is a bit of a concern. I think there's probably two strands to it. From a premiership sense, I don't think it looks great. But also, in, 
in 2021, when Eddie Jones leaves his post, he's apparently meant to be grooming and looking for the next England coach. Well, he hasn't got many to pick from in the Premiership. So I think we've got a responsibility to these coaches to nurture them, give them the necessary support and time to be able to thrive. In the same way we'd speak about any rugby player, it's no different if you're a coach. You, you want the exact same support. So it is disappointing. I hope... There isn't a, an automatic knee-jerk reaction to, well, let's go down to the Southern Hemisphere because look what the All Blacks do and look at the glory that Australia have been in over for years. Um, it doesn't sit well with me because I've looked at the Premiership and the success that it's had over the last 10 years and every, co every team that's been headed up to win a Premiership has been a Northern Hemisphere coach. And I do honestly believe you need premiership experience and intellect to win a premiership. It's a completely different beast to what we see at Super Rugby. It's a different game, none more so that there's relegation and it's relentless and you have to deal with international players that aren't there for half a year. There's loads. I'm not going to go into it, but I would love to see a greater pathway to develop some of these English talented coaches and lots of them are sat in number two positions at the moment. Many of them no, no doubt are waiting to, to get their opportunity at DOR. Well one of them is Mark Mapletoft and, yep. and you know you, you would have to put his name on the list of those that, that might be coming in next season if only because the Premiership has to be about more than just developing English players. It's got to be about developing English and British coaches as well. Yeah, of course. Um, Tofty's someone that I've worked with for a very long time. Um, he sat there as head coach at the minute. I'm sure he'll be. He'll look to put his hat into the ring. But um, but it is important. Actually, there's a question. Okay. There's a, there's a good question to address here because somebody got in touch with me on Twitter this week and said, "What's the difference between a DOR and a head coach?" And actually, it, it the, the the honest answer is it varies from club to club. Yep. There's, there's no there's no definition definitively, but there are some people who are quite happy spending their lives as the head coach. The DOR essentially is a little bit more administrative, isn't it? It's the kind of, it's the kind of big strategic overview, looking much more at, at signings and the way the club's going forward long term. There, there, there may well be blokes involved at the moment who are head coaches who absolutely do not want to be DORs. Yeah, you're right. And I think the DOR, you're absolutely right. It's the, the biggest difference is the admin. They almost work as a conduit between the owners, the board, and then the rest of the coaching team. Um, they have to deal with the agents and contractual um, business with players and all the rest of it. But then you get some DORs that I would consider tracksuit DORs who want to be on the training pitch and do a bit of coaching. So it's um, very much horses for courses. Who are they? Let's say, who are those? The, 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 well, Rob Baxter's one. Oh, yeah. He, he gets his boots on. Never see him in a blazer. No, no. You don't see... You don't. Well, you, you do see Die Young in blazers sometimes, but he's probably best suited to a tracksuit. <laughs> Sorry, Die. Sorry, right. April. Um, but, but actually, he, he, he's out there. Um, somebody like Dean Richards, you never see out on the training pitch. And, you know, he's, he's almost the archetypal DOR. What are you laughing at? <laughs> Dean Richards, in 05, when he coached me at Harlequins, he took one training session. And I'm glad it was only one. He came out, we're playing Leicester Tigers. He went, well, I know what Leicester are all about. They cheat, da, da, da. they do this at the ruck. So we need to deal with it. We can't leave it up to the referee. So when you go, chuck on a chuck on a tackle suit, okay, no problem. Nick, you go and stand over there, okay, cool. 
well, Nick, I want you to tackle Hugo, and Hugo lie on the wrong side of the ruck. I was like, okay, so lay there. And he's like, Nick, now I want you to go and ruck him out. And I was like, what? <laughs> so I had to lie there, be tackled while someone stamped on me. <laughs> and that's what we practised for about 20-odd minutes. We, we did it in rotations of three. And that was the only session he ever took. Old school. So old, old school. school, but that's him. But that's absolutely Actually, him. David Humphreys is an example of a DOR yes. who, as much as you sometimes see him on the, on the, the touchline at Hartbury, he's not directly involved with the training. That's yeah. Johan Ackerman. Yeah, I think there's a number of head coaches that could potentially be promoted into those DOR positions, whether that changes the, the balance of what that club makeup looks like and how that would affect things, I'm not quite sure. But it does mean that we do have a depth of English coaches, but perhaps not in the positions we'd like to see them tested for future, for future promotion at a higher level. You look at the likes of your Ali Heifers and your Alex Andersons, yeah. all brilliant coaching men. Dave Walder. Dave Walder, another one. Uh, Sam Vesti, who's, who's yes. going to be at Northampton next season. So, so uh, almost irrespective of whether Quinns are interested in somebody like a Stuart Lancaster or a Jim Mallander or a Mark Mapletoff, the names that we've talked about, the first question they need to ask is what kind of structure they want and do they want a DOR who's wearing a suit or who's wearing his boots on the training pitch. Yeah, and that would change the dynamics massively. I think it's easy to replace, well, not so easy, but I think structurally easier to replace a, uh, an attack coach, a defence coach. You bring a DOR and all of a sudden he wants the coach, well, that could have a knock-on effect to the rest of Harlequin coaching staff. So um, it's, it's a horrible, well, it's an interesting jigsaw puzzle which they're going to have to fix and sort out. And, of course... It's fairly time precious, but I wouldn't want to see Harlequins race in and make the wrong decision. Um, they need to get the right man, but of course, this season's coming around pretty quickly and we're, we're not even finished with this one yet. No. We've talked about Dino uh, and how he is one of uh, just five remaining British coaches uh, in the Premiership at the moment. He's been reflecting on John Kingston's departure this week and the challenges of coaching at the very highest level. Dean, can I ask you about John Kingston's exit at the end of the season from Quinns? What's your reaction to that? He's a man you know very well. You've worked with him and, of course, a club you know very well too. Yeah, I'm disappointed. I've known John a long time, played against him, worked with him, and I think he's incredibly bright, uh, very passionate. And uh, you know, I, I understand that sometimes results don't go your way, and I've been in that position myself. And... Uh, as we said, we've spoken about before, um, sometimes a little patience here or there will will be good and, and can be good and be beneficial. And I think some of his recruitment going into next season would have seen a, a real change in in the in, in Quinn's fortunes. But you know, it's sometimes dif disappointing to see that somebody who you've, you've known as a friend and uh, and worked with for a reasonable amount of time has uh, has, has lost his job. So, is it a disturbing trend? When you look at the Aviva Premiership and you see John Kingston's left mid-season, Nick Kennedy's left mid-season, Jim Mallander's left mid-season, they've all been sacked in the middle of a campaign, which previously was not something that rugby recognised, but now it appears to be becoming the norm. It, it has happened in the past. and you know, I've been in seasons where my six or seven directors of rugby have lost their jobs, and, and it's not nice. Sadly, it is isn't. but the expectations are there that if people pay for, for success, they expect it. And, um, and I think sometimes, you know, as I said earlier, you, not everybody can win the, the, the title and not everybody can be in the top four. There's always going to be somebody who will finish 12th. And 
and it's that understanding as to where you are and, uh, and what your progress what your progression is and and what you really offer and I think had things been horrendously wrong and then you could turn around and say, well, fine, and there may be changes that may be, may be needed. But I, you know, I've known John a long time, and it wouldn't be for the want of trying, the effort that he puts in, and the passion that he shows for the club. And uh, So I'm disappointed. I, I, I mean, he's, he's a lovely guy, and, but I, I would look at it slightly differently. And, I, and, uh, and, and as a country, we, I think you, know, you had Nick Kennedy, John Kingston, Jim Mallander, and Dorian's leaving at the end of the, end of the year. And as an RFU, they're probably going to lose these guys, as they did to Martin Johnson as well, and what support they're giving them and how they're trying to keep them in the game and look after them, because they, I think they're, they're all very bright individuals who understand the game well and probably just needed a, a bit of help at, this, at the right time. So as, as English coaches, and we're, we're trying to encourage young English coaches to come through, it's... It's it's a bit of a setback, isn't it, in that respect? Yeah, it is. And you know, I, Nick Kennedy is a really bright individual who understands the game well. John Kingston, likewise, Martin Johnson, Jim Mullen, they all understand the game incredibly well. I, and there's no set program there which is put in place by the RFU to help develop them and there's no pathway through to being England coaches at all at this moment in time. And until there is, then you know, you'll know you be plucking people and uh, from nowhere, turning them into directors of rugby and, and, and it's a difficult job to, to be thrown into and, uh, and your management skills or your skill set is, is going to be varied. and totally different to that of a coach. I, I think it's, you know, as I said, it's, I think it's a real shame but there's, there isn't the support there that uh, I think these boys necessarily need. Do you find it one of your key challenges ensuring that your coaching staff are, are fresh and delivering fresh messages? Because it seems to, that one of, the, one of the issues may or may not have been at, at Quinn's that perhaps the same voices are being heard repeatedly. And you, you've been around the block, Dean. You, you know how hard it is to regenerate a coaching staff. How do you do that successfully? Uh, I, I don't think it's easy. Um, uh, I think variety is the spice of, of life, as you've alluded to, with your, your choice of food. Um, so, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it's not easy. And it depends on the squad that you have, the makeup of your squad, the type of coaches you have. And, and I think you, you just have to take it all in and then just tinker with things and adjust things accordingly. And, and I think one of the issues you have is that, is that the season is so long that it, you know, it's not a sprint, it's, it, it, it literally lasts from the, the start of August right through to, to the end of, end of May the following year. And, and it's, in soccer, it's week in, week out, and you get midweek games, but you can't have that because of the attritional nature of the game. And, and you're constantly looking at broken bodies and working out you know, who's, who can play, who can't play, and, and the impact upon the side through the injury situations, then call-ups for internationals, can be quite draining for the guys at Canon. And it, it, it's not an easy challenge at all. It yeah. isn't, and like you say, to keep people going from the beginning of August to the end of May, it's, it, it's difficult. And would you say that it is disproportionately harder for somebody to come in from outside of England, arguably from the Southern Hemisphere, to come in and make a success of a premiership club than an Englishman? It, it is more difficult for somebody to come in from outside, but invariably if you bring somebody in from outside, you'll have more money. So you'll be able to throw more money at it, which then will help. You know, The Saracens boys going away each year, skiing and everything else, like, helps break the season up. And, and if you haven't got that sort of money, it becomes far more difficult. There's ways and means, and but at the same time, you know, the guys that invariably come from abroad, they find it very, very difficult indeed for the first couple of years until they understand that it is a marathon. And, 
and then they get into the swing of things. Uh, but it, it, it's no coincidence, a lot of the boys in, in, the, in, in New Zealand, they did a lot of time in the UK, Ewan Smiths of this world and guys like that, so, and, and just purely for that reason. Dean Richards, who's at Newcastle take on sale in the Northern Clash, but a Northern Soul, Ukes, uh, Friday night, uh, live uh, on BT Sport 1, 4K, UHD, 7 o'clock. You a Northern Soul man? Uh, I can't say I am. No, no. <laughs> Are you shame, mate. Oh, no, no, you're a youngster, <laughs> I'm not. Anyway, moving on, um, Google it. It's worth, it's worth having a look at. Um, other news this week, and actually quite a bit to get through. Um, let's, let's start by celebrating Bristol's promotion back to uh, the Premiership, um, back in after just a season in the Championship. We were saying that um, Ealing Trailfinders, where we are tonight, finished um, second, but their heavy defeat at Doncaster last weekend means that um, Bristol are back with us. Uh, and the back with us, Hughes, without the playoffs. The, the playoffs scrapped this year, which in my mind means that they're in a much better position to be in the Premiership longer term? Far greater position than what London Irish were deserved um, just a season ago. So it just helps in terms of recruitment, being able to put those building blocks in place. And that's exactly what they've done. Pat Lamb's come in halfway through the season. They have lost Mike Bakewell, um, Leicester's game, but essentially... It's so much more simple for clubs to now get promoted and to really have a proper crack at, uh, at the Premiership because we know how tough it is. It's been tough for the likes of Harlequins, for Northampton um, this season, let alone a newly promoted club. So, yeah, welcome back to the Premiership, Bristol. And they're bringing a decent squad with them. They're, they're, not, they're not scurrying around in the, in the bargain bins now. They, they've, they've, got, they've got Charles Piertau and, and, and the rest coming up to, to really give it a good, a good go next It's season. incredible. Um, I think we saw with London Irish, they were scrapping around, I think, mid-summer trying to get players to sign on the dotted line. But essentially, the team they're bringing up have played the majority of this year together. Of course, the likes of Charles Pitta will add exactly what we know he could add. It's that world-class stardust. But I'm excited for them more so than anything. Bristol against Bath on a Friday night. What a fixture that's going to be. So, uh, no, welcome back and thoroughly deserved. Yep, Ashton Gate, uh, full underlight. It's going to be worth looking forward to uh, next season uh, in, the, uh, in the Gallagher Premiership, let's not forget. Uh, let's quickly talk about ring fencing, though, because as much as we're celebrating Bristol's promotion this week, while we're here in Ealing, it is worth reflecting on the fact that if we had ring fencing, everything that Ealing are investing at the moment would be pointless because there's nothing that they could do to earn premiership status one day, which they so badly want. Yeah, and do you know what? Looking around this place, and it is my first time being here, it's incredible facilities what they've got. So the infrastructure's fully in place for them to be a premiership club. Of course, they need to build a squad to be able to perform and to be able to compete with the likes of your Exeters, your Saracens and your uh, and yourselves and, and everyone else. But... A club like this, which invests so much, not just in terms of the facilities exactly here, but in the community as well, I think they need a chance. I love promotion relegation and the romance, or actually it's not all that romantic, no. to be honest, but, <laughs> but it is exciting. But then there's a strong argument whenever you come to a place like this as to why you'd want to keep it open. So you're not a fencer? I don't think so, no. I quite like it. Um, what do we make of, of, of Mike Haley in our, in our game at the AJ Bell last Friday. Um, I came off the match and, and Twitter had, had melted. The, the, the kind of T, the T and the R at the end of Twitter had just kind of faded away into oblivion. <laughs> Wasps fans absolutely livid um, about Mike Haley's 
um, strike on, on, on Josh Bassett. He's been cited. We're recording this um, on Wednesday night, so we don't know what the decision yet of the citing commission will be, but we expect it won't take quite as long as Denny Solomonas took last No, week. most definitely not. I mean, it's a strike, an alleged strike is what I've got written down here. It's, it's a forum to his head. It's assault. It's assault. I'd be surprised if we see Mike Haley play again in the Premiership this season. Um, at a pivotal point in the game, 77th minute, it's about two yards away from the ruck. Josh Bassett gets up with a bloody nose. Um, and then Sell managed to keep hold of the ball for a number of phases in the 92nd minute. Um, Marlon Yarskill's in the corner. So it's not just that. It's not just the fact that Josh Bassett was assaulted on the pitch, but then Wasp went on to lose the match. So for Haley, um, he's a quality player. Um, I think his disciplinary record's pretty good, but that definitely needed looking at in the game. And it's another example, unfortunately, where TMOs are missing major incidents in the game, which not just affect players, but affect results. ARs as well. Touch yep, yep, yep. Um, you know, we all did, in fairness. Um, you know, we weren't, we weren't the only ones. But uh, probably worth saying, uh, uh, and there'll be Wasp fans throwing up their arms in frustration when we do say this, but Mike Hale is a good guy. And he oh, may yes. well have played his final game for sale if the, if the decision goes against him because he's going to Munster next season. But he will, he will have looked at that after the game with some disappointment, I'm sure. He's not that kind of character. I, I know Mike Haley. He's actually a really nice guy. You can see by the way he plays the kind of characters. He's pretty chilled, happy-go-lucky guy, but a rush of blood to the head led to Josh Bassett having a bit of blood rushing from his nose, unfortunately. Uh, we, we could talk forever about the Denny Solomona thing, uh, uh, and we have talked a lot already because it, the news of his, um, his band broke back end of last week. So let's, let's kind of try and freshen it up a little bit. Um, and, and, and look beyond the immediate headlines. Uh, having said that, no issue from your side with, with the decision to, to ban him for four no, weeks? No, most definitely not. Absolutely. I mean, regardless of the evidence, I'd find it hard to believe as to why Jamie Shilcock would lie about something. And rightly so, he had to be banned. The way in which it's been handled, I think it's been, been poor from the RFU, taking a while to have the statement come out and almost trying to hide it. We now know it was homophobic slur. Steve Diamond's coming out and backing him and saying what happens on the pitch, just stay on the pitch. Well, what do you make of that? Well, it's, it's an archaic point of view for many different reasons. Number one... Um, you can't accept the finances from production companies and TV companies like BT Sport and say, when we televise it and stream it around the world and say, no, <laughs> what happens on the pitch stays on the pitch. But, you know, if you feel fully aggrieved as to something contrary to the values of the game happened, then you should, ha you should be able to speak up and stand up, not just for yourself, but for the values of the game. And that's exactly what Jamie Shilcott did. And... Um, from what we hear, they, Denny and Jamie shook hands afterwards and let bygones be bygones. But something of this magnitude had to be investigated. And it's not anything against Solomona. It's just we've got to cry, try and keep rugby as moralistically clean as we can because these guys are role models and people watch the game with interest. Isn't there a little bit of you, though, uneasy that there was no incontrovertible evidence? It was, in the end, one man's word against another and the commission decided that they believed Jamie Shilcock and they didn't believe Denny Solomona. Away from the rights and the wrongs of this case, yep. and Steve Diamond kind of touched on it when we spoke to him last week, are we not heading down a dangerous road when a player can come off the pitch and make those kinds of accusations without any evidence to back it up with afterwards? Yeah, they've definitely set a precedent. We've seen, t we've seen times and we've certainly seen events where people have 
We saw it earlier in the year. Um, eye gouging Carl Sinclair at Northampton. Well, the referee had to find evidence to ban him. We've seen people bite, and then people are trying to show bite marks and all the rest of it. They'd only get banned if there was evidence. But with this one, because it's verbal, and it wasn't picked up on the ref mic the same way Bastero was, he's still been banned. That is dangerous, absolutely. But then I'm not quite sure what outcome would have satisfied everyone involved. I think it's fairly unsavoury, the accusation. Um, it doesn't ultimately sit all that well with me. There's no evidence and yet still banned. But either way, if it was said, I think Steve Diamond, I think the RFU perhaps should have come down harder on Denis Solomona in the same way I do believe they should have come down harder on Bastero. The only difference for me is Bastero's mother tongue is not English. I don't think Denis Solomona can use that same excuse. We're spending a lot of time talking about this at the moment and, and verbal abuse between players, homophobic abuse, um, according to the commission on this one, Israel Falau as well. We'll get on to good old Israel in a moment. Did you ever receive any racist abuse when you were playing? Oh, I, I had once on one occasion that happened from, well, I was going to say supporters, inverted comma supporters, how all kinds of abuse against me. What kind of things? Um, just racial abuse. Um, I didn't report it, didn't say anything. And the worst thing about it, actually, was that... Did you think about reporting it? You uh, must have been livid. I was. I was livid. And I think the, the most damning thing about it is that in the week we said that you probably would get some abuse and some racial abuse. And I'm going back a long time now, and I'm pretty brand new to a professional game, let alone playing away from home in hostile environments. I did not expect that. I was brought up on football. I knew what football was, but I also knew the difference between football and rugby. I didn't ever expect that. Um, so that was really, really disappointing. And it's almost a bit of a shame that I was expected to be able to deal with it and put up with it and then see it actually happen. And it's... Hang on, did, did, but did you talk, to, without naming names, did you talk to somebody afterwards and say, I'm really upset about this, what should I do about it? Were you, were you encouraged to play it down, or was it a decision that you took in your own mind? It was a decision which I, which I took upon myself. I told players, and, you know, I also played in the team, Marcel Garvey, former Gloucester guy, he was playing that day. He got abused. We chatted about it amongst ourselves, but... Do you know, thinking about it now, reflecting on it, the most disappointing thing was that the coaching staff and management team knew that we were going to get some kind of abuse, that they would have heard it because the physios uh, on the touchline, the coaches weren't far away from it, and they didn't do anything either. Do you regret now that you didn't? Yeah, I do. I wish I had done something. I wish, I wish I'd actually named names. I wish I'd gone up to people afterwards and appointed them out to officials. I wish I mentioned it to referees and ARs as it happened because it's not acceptable. It's absolutely not acceptable. Um, you know, it didn't affect me as a player, but it might affect another player. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's a huge disappointment. It's exactly what I didn't believe rugby was back then. And perhaps I'm, I had a different opinion of what I thought it was and what actually I was faced was, was, was completely different from that. I, do you know what? I was completely brand new to it all. Um, but had I known now what I know, I definitely would have had a different response to it, that's for sure. Nothing on the pitch from opponents, from other players? No, never anything from opponents. I've, I've had knee drops to my testicles and all sorts of things, but no. Deserved, no. probably. <laughs> exactly. That was Richard Hill. That was Richard <laughs> Hill back in the days. Uh, but no, nothing from players. But, you know, it, 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 this certainly isn't a witch hunt. 
It really isn't. It's nothing against Solomon or Bustero, but if any, any player at any age group, and not everyone is fortunate enough to play in the Premiership, in the Championship, but if you were playing on a Sunday anywhere, at any level, and someone is homophobic, racial, or any of, the, or any of that kind of way, please do report it. Make a difference, because you can't... I, I firmly believe you can't accept it. So where does Israel Falau fit into all of this? If you, if you haven't heard what um, Falau has said in recent times, to, to, to summarise it, uh, if you're gay, you're going to hell. Discuss. I mean... Slightly ashamed. Do you know what? Um, I've got a huge amount of respect for Israel Falau as a player. I think he's outstanding. Um, I think I'm, I'm also saying obvious statements. Everyone knows what he is as a player, but as a person, and this one I'm slightly ashamed is because I'm also a Christian, and supposedly we believe exactly the same things, and I think we do, but to come out and to condemn a section of society in the manner which he has done, I think, so irresponsible. I, I really do. Um, for me, religion's about love, acceptance, and completely not being judgmental. Um, and he's done all those things in one sentence, you know. Um, Twitter's a funny place, because now everyone's able to kind of quote scriptures from the Bibles <laughs> at the drop of a hat. But you know, it is contradictory, because there's many things which I'm sure... He's done, which is completely contrary to the Bible. I'm sure he's been drunk and acted out of order. It says you're not allowed tattoos in the Bible. I've got a million and one, as does he. I'm sure he's played rugby on a Sunday, which apparently you're not meant to do in the Bible. So I don't know. For me, that's not what religion's about. I think considering the position he holds in society, it is completely immoral for him to be saying this kind of... I don't know how you feel about it. I feel exactly the same. It's increasingly... Our generation, and a little bit of the generation previously, are, are growing up in a sport that's a sport for all. Yep. Um, women are playing the sport. Yep. Homosexuals are playing the sport. Yep. And they can be open about being homosexual yep. and play the sport. Um, people of colour yeah. are playing the sport. It's a sport for all. And it, the ARU's response has not been strong. Essentially, they've said to Falau, you need to give this some thought. Go away and think about it, which is which is what he's which is what he's going to do, and that's as tough as it's got. And do you know what? The ARU came down hard on the likes of James O'Connor when he got in trouble for late nights out. You can't be banned from rugby for late nights out, and then someone condemn a whole section of society and say, "Hey, you may want to have a little think about what you're doing." I'm not. I think it's fairly obvious as to me what's worse, but they've acted in such a weak manner, which has just opened the gate to. Anyone to say whatever they believe. Do you know what? There's a certain part of me which, which respects how vindicated he is by his faith, but projects his thoughts and opinions in the manner which he done so flippantly on Instagram. That's probably the worst thing of it all. Do you know what we are? What we are doing now, though, and let's finish this positively. What we are doing now is something that you didn't feel you could do yeah. all those years ago. Yeah. And we're talking about it. Yep. And everybody listening to this will have their view, and some will not necessarily agree with us and that's fine but we're talking about yeah. it and if it's out in the open it's that much easier to deal with isn't it one way one way or the other which kind of puts dylan hartley's latest concussion problems in in a, in a slightly different category but but there's no guarantee that hartley's going to play again this season um he's, he's had another 
blow to the head and it may well impact on, on whether or not he tours with England to South Africa over the summer. Yeah, it's unfortunate for him. Um, he's got a history of concussion. Two years ago, he had two knocks to his head, which meant he had a 14-week layoff. Um, he said in 2016 he didn't even remember lifting the Six Nations trophy. That's not a great sign itself. So another big blow to the head could be potentially a big blow to Eddie Jones, um, but also opens up the door um, to other players, the likes of Luke Cowan Dickey, um, who's been playing some wonderful rugby for Exeter at the minute. But hey, let's get back to what really matters. That's Dylan Hartley and his health. And I, I hope the people around him, and they've got some great guys up in Northampton that look after him, and he takes the necessary time to get his head right. Yep. Um, we, uh, we look forward to seeing uh, Dylan in the Gallagher Premiership <laughs> next. I've no idea what colour Gallagher are, but I'm sure we'll find out over the next 24, 48 Sound hours. Northern. Um, well, they're American. Oh. North American. They're Northern thinking, American. I was just thinking Northern Zoll. Yeah. Do you remember that day, actually, when, when um, Guinness gave way to Aviva and we'd had a jet black-sponsored Twickenham at the end of the previous season and we turned up um, at the start of the first season of the Aviva Premiership in, when was that, 2, 13, 14, somewhere around then. And it was, it was that canary yellow. And you suddenly realised, I was looking for your sunglasses. And we're, 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 we're going to have another different kind of colour code, aren't we? Um, uh, an American-based company, they, they do business over here as well, although perhaps not quite so well known at the moment, which is one of the reasons they want to get involved in the premiership. It, it's, it's a tough job for sports to attract high-end sponsors at the moment. So hats off to the Premiership, for, for having done that. And there's that interesting link as well with an American company uh, when we know what we're trying to do on the other side of the Atlantic at the moment as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a huge link. Um, it's the fastest-growing sport in America. Rugby is the fastest-growing sport in America. So there's genuine connectivity and synergy between the two companies. And do you know what? Extra finance into the game for the players, the growth of it is certainly all going to be very welcome. We should institute a, a fine system next season on BT Sport Anybody who says Aviva Premierships <laughs> yes. in the first couple of months needs to um, needs to put some money into the uh, into the kitty. Let's have a, a, a look back on on, on last weekend uh, and huge win for Sale. We've, we've touched on it a little bit yep. with, with 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 bits and pieces, but they are right in the mix now. They they left it very late against Wasp, but they're there. They bought the ticket. Yeah, they're a tough team to beat at the AJ Bell. I've got to say, the last, I mean, the not the last few weeks, the last couple of months, they've kind of just been just quietly going about their business, picking up wins, playing some really good rugby, Marlon Yard thriving in a brand new environment, four tries in his last four games. But it took them real bottle to beat Wass at the weekend. Um, it was a really, really good result. Wass came out of the blocks really, really fast. So for them to cling on in, a massive try for them just before halftime, another one in the 92nd minute. It gives them everything to still fight for three rounds to go. And then on Saturday, we headed down to Twickenham for, um, for the clash, uh, along with 60,000-plus as well. The highlight for us on BT Sport before the match uh, were your diamante headphones, <laughs> with that, which, which Andrew, uh, our brilliant sound man who looks after us up and down the country during the season, had, had, had got from the little outside broadcast truck, which only come out for, for prime-time programmes, for big showbiz glittery superstars, which you, of course, are now. 
Which, and you wore them, fair play to you, little diamond things that, um, that sparkled in the sunshine. I think a lot of people thought that I'd brought them myself, and that is most definitely not the case. So thank you didn't you take them away at the end, did you? No, I didn't, no. no, no. no. Um, but no, it was a really good game, and I've got to say, there's a lot of disgruntled Bath fans are wondering why the game's been taken to Twickenham, and it should have been played at the wreck, you know, valuable points up for stake. But last week we're detailing how rugby and rugby clubs and non-profit uh, make an organisation. So days like what we had on Saturday at Twickenham, 60,000 people, exactly what clubs needed. Of course, they needed the points in equal measure. But put that to one side, less the Tigers. Yeah, I'm not sure that if they'd have played it at the wreck or Twickenham or Timbuktu, there'd have been any difference in the result. Leicester... Well, they were behind at half-time, but they really set the foundations for the win with that fantastic forward effort in the first half. Yeah, Ellis Genshin Co. up front, I just thought were immense. Um, two yellow cards from that. Constant pressure in, that, uh, in the early quarter, really told in the final quarter. Three tries, all capped off for um, Toulouse Veanu. Two months ago, they were not making a top four. Now they're firmly... They're rugby's daffodils. Yeah, yeah. February, March, April. Yeah. When no, they're no. at their best. Can they, can, will they be deadheaded in May? That's the question. <laughs> that no one's asking, but we're asking tonight. Yes. <laughs> it's a perfect analogy. Come on, Titchmarsh, what do you reckon? <laughs> do you know what? They'll be in the top four. They'll absolutely be in the top four. <laughs> With a it. bit of compost. Yes. Uh, Bath's playoff hopes over. Yeah. Um, uh, now, I'm, I'm astonished to hear whispers about the future of Todd Blackadder, but there are whispers about the future of Todd Blackadder. Yeah. One I mean, of the things you might have to consider is whether Todd Blackadder, Blackadder fancies Bath the way things are going at the moment. He, he may well have better things to do. Yeah, I mean, Tabby Matson, he left early in the season and perhaps his role, which he played, has been underplayed a little bit. Um, yeah, it doesn't seem to be a massive connect between him and Bruce Craig at the minute, if you're to believe everything you hear and read. Um, but yeah, he's been there two years and they... And they've failed to make the top four twice now. And that's exactly what has been brought in for. You look at the squad, you look at their infrastructure. Talk, we're at Ealing Trail Farm. It's wonderful here, but Folly House isn't too bad either. So, yeah, um, he's a good man. Wouldn't want to lose another good man in the Premiership. So I do hope he stays, but I guess his results are going to have to change. Yeah, it's only his second season. You kind of think, you know, looking, looking long term, yep. you can't keep changing coaches <laughs> after every, every couple of seasons. That's true. And, and, you know, Blackadder is one of the brightest. Um, I think it's fair to say that Northampton will not be sad to see the back of Saracens this season. They're not going to be going on holiday with each other, are they? No. Four games. And they've shipped over 200 points. 33 tries in four yeah. matches. That, that, actually, there was a record defeat in the Premiership for them on Saturday at the, at the Garden, 63-13. Especially being 13-15 down at half-time. A two-point gap, 48-0 uh, in the second half. Northampton Saints need this Premiership to finish. Chris Boyd's coming in next year, so they do have some good news. The good news for Saracens is that off the back of them losing away at Leinster, which you covered just the week before, they look to be back in business. What might concern Saints fans is that we know Chris Boyd's got a brilliant record on the other side of the world, but Saints are in a right old pickle at the moment. He's going to have to be very good to get them competitive, to be pushing for the top four 
over the course of a, of a, of a pre-season summer. Yeah, and do you know what? I don't think it'll be for the want of trying. Chris Boyd's already been in the UK, spent a week, just a few weeks ago, meeting with the whole of coaching staff as well as all the players, trying to detail why they've been so poor this year, as well as mapping out what he expects from the players next season. So great to see his desire to come over so early on, and that certainly bodes well for his team and the club. We touched on the game at the, at the Stoop, and we've certainly looked at it from a, from a Quinn's perspective. Let's look at it from an Irish perspective. Um, are these the, the, the last knockings of a drunk wandering out the pub at midnight <laughs> on a Saturday? Or, or if it was another month this season, would they really be pressing Worcester and Northampton? Yeah, I mean, they've timed their run quite poorly, just talking about Leicester and how they're getting it right. But with three games to go, considering the deficit they have with Worcester at the minute, nine points, you can't see them staying up, but they're certainly going down with a massive fight. Um, and they've played Harlequins twice this season maximum points they'd love to play harlequins every week but fair play to irish they it wasn't a case whereby they knocked over a drop goal in the 79th minute to win the game harlequins weren't in the game at any point four tries some of them constructed really well van zeel who's a mid-season signing at scrum half has been exceptional for them but uh, you just feel as if it's a little bit too late in the bt sport predictor league did you have falcons winning at warriors i did and if that had well, I did. No, actually, I didn't. I forgot to make my prediction, so I've now officially <laughs> given up. I am resigning from the BT Sport Predictor League. Um, but if your prediction had come true, Irish would have been within striking distance of the Warriors. Yeah. That's a big... That, given what was happening at the Stoop, that's a huge win for Worcester. Yeah, absolutely massive, especially having to bounce back of a real bad defeat the week before. But um, Donald Crow Callender, I think a couple of guys are talking to him and just said, you know, we get these wonderful results and then we get a, a massive kick in there. I won't finish a sentence. But in the Donicus. <laughs> in the Donicus, exactly that. <laughs> so it's a huge game, considering um, both games are played at the same time and not being aware of what was happening at the stoop it certainly just keeps them at bay and the greatest tribute you can pay to the chiefs at the moment is that seeing off gloucester 46 10 just seems run of the mill that they are setting standards that that actually i'm not sure any other team in the premiership can match at the moment in terms of consistency what they do they do brilliantly. it's incredible i think i said it in commentary um it's a real good feel good fact on the monday whereby you swat away gloucester you get Jack Noel back, Luke Cowan Dickey back starting, and you're still probably a little bit discontent with the performance. The lineup was really poor. So isn't it a good feeling to be going into pretty much secured yourself a home semi final with plenty still to work on? I mean, they played some outstanding rugby. There's not a better pick and go side in Europe. So the moment they get in the 22, you know they come away points playing with such a fluency, um, such a brilliance and confidence, which is going to be really hard to match. I can't remember a tighter end to the season. I mean, I, Chiefs, have, Chiefs have gone over the horizon and they'll have a home semi at Sandy Park, but everybody else. Who'll finish second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth? Completely up for grabs. Absolutely. I'm looking down at the table now, and I, I'd say everyone's within a shout down to seventh place with three rounds to go. That's, I mean, it's, it's perfectly poised. So it's a huge weekend of rugby coming up. Yeah, but, Gloucester uh, have 51 points in seventh, Sale 53, Falcons 54, Wasps. 56, Leicester 56. Massive games this weekend. Yeah. Um, brilliant. Just a brilliant end to the season. And to, to really add to the mix as well, everyone is playing each other at the moment. Three rounds to go and we'll get underway again uh, on Friday evening at Kingston Park. The first of our three live games this weekend. Newcastle 
against Sale. We've already talked about it a little bit. Dean Richards and Steve Diamond in particular, working their socks off to, to build what is rapidly becoming a title challenge in the North. I know you're in direct competition with them, but as a proud northerner, you'll look at what Newcastle are doing and think, good on you. Absolutely, 100%. I think we, uh, I'd love Leeds to be back in the comp, if I'm honest. And I think, uh, I've said it many times, from the north, there's been two-thirds of all internationals picked for England have been born or schooled in the north. And, you know, whether that's at private school or whether it's through the county system, that's the way it is and will continue to be. As I said earlier... We've stopped the, we've locked the gates on our our academy lads leaving. Newcastle have done something similar, and with Dean Richards in charge, uh, a pragmatist like myself, you know he understands the game. He understands what he has to get right. His basics, and you know, the, the, I would be saying now that Dean Richards should be coach of the year. Mm. You imagine a Champions Cup next season with both you and the Falcons in it. What does that mean? Well, that'd be fantastic. I think I think uh, I think we've been working here for. Eight, eight years since I come back and um, and Dean's been doing it, he must have been there five years, mm. to get opportunities like this. And, you know, we're on a level playing field. The salary cap's enforced. So every, everybody's in in it together. And uh, it's it's he who can recruit best, he who can bring kids through their academy best and develop. And, and for me, that's the only way of doing it. You know, selective recruitment's important. And people like De Klerk, John O'Ross, Strauss, O'Connor, who've come big names that they are, uh, you know, your Sam James, your Luke James, your Cameron Neal, your Tom and Ben Curry, to name a few, are knocking on the door every week. So I, I think champion, if we can get a place in the Champions Cup, it'd be brilliant uh, at this moment in time. I think our ambitions are a bit higher than that at the moment. We, we want to we wanna win every game if we can, with four left. But I, I would love to, uh, I'd love to see ourselves in Newcastle in that top European competition. And that's what the players want, that's what the fans want. Everybody wants that, as long as not drawn in the same group, it'll be great. It's been 2006 since the North last had a champion club. When mm. will it have its next champion club? Well, all I can say is in, in this day and age where huge monies are spent on, on player salaries and on clubs, I think, I think for me, I can see it in the next five years, certainly with us, the, the trajectory we're on with the finances that are behind us, with you know people like Mark Cueto, Paul Smith are in our commercial side, lads who really care about the club and have, have developed their skills off the field into the business community. We, we need a business here that doesn't lose money, first and foremost. And to create a business that doesn't lose money and win the league, you've only got to look one place and that's Exeter. And they've done a fantastic job. And, you know, there's other models that you can copy and try and replicate, but we'll do it our own way. We're, we're ready in the right direction. We've got a good team in our hands. We've got a good management team in our hands and we've got a loyal following, small that it is. The, the, the next job for us is to keep playing like we're playing. We can score seven or eight tries most weeks at home. Then the days have gone of infrastructure problems there. There's a, people who walk to the stadium to watch performances like we've been given. How do you reflect in, in, in a wider sense on, on the news from Saracens this week that the South African money is being taken out um, uh, as soon as they can? It, it, is the English game built on sand at the moment? I wouldn't say it's built on sand, but I think that, uh, as I alluded to, we, we need we need to uh, to look at where the source of the, the the serious revenue comes in, and it's with Twickenham. 
and I think more dialogue is needed and I know there's an agreement in place um, but that can be amended. Eddie wants more time, uh, the results have shown that he's probably right in more time. To get more time they're going to have to do a financial arrangement with the clubs, another financial arrangement and hopefully that'll help. But what Saracens have done with the South African owners is, is, is remarkable. Um, what they've done, they've put English club rugby on the map. And, um, you know, in, in a country where premiership football is massive and cricket's massive, I think clubs like Saracens being able to win not only domestic competition, but, you know, uh, European competition and bring some of the names that they've brought is, has been fantastic. And they're, the, they're the, the flag bearers, really, for, for what, what we're all trying to do. Make the league the strongest league in the world get the top players to come and get the TV money up and get the spectator crowd crowds up and, and it, it becomes a really good sport and I think uh, we're not too far away from that. I, I don't think they'll have any problem finding an investor. What about the dangers though of clubs relying too much and you, you, you've mentioned that 11 out of the 12 lost money last year. What are the dangers of relying on a couple of sugar daddies? Yeah, it is a danger and I think with the potential of the league being ring-fenced. I think that would put a bit of confidence in these people because... You'd put your hand up for ring-fencing, would you? I, I would, yeah. I think my rugby heart tells me the competition's always good for the relegation battle. But, I, you know, I've been involved a long time away from playing now, 17, 18 years, and, you know, there's a one-twelfth chance you, your investment can go up in a puff of smoke. And I think for any businessman, however rich and successful he is, you don't like those odds. Does that affect your ambition? The ambition of the of the owners that, that, that you have in here? Uh, yeah, I mean, if that if that ring fencing is agreed at any point, you've got to make sure that you're not fighting relegation. You've got to make sure that you've uh, you've got a side that is far away from that. And looking at next season, that's if it is next season, or the season after, it's going to be really, really difficult. It's going to be, uh, you know, if you think the funding is around six million quid a club uh, and you're going to go down for five years well it's a 30 odd million pound game isn't it you hear of one million pound games in other sports but that game of who goes down is massive so generally speaking to sum it up the premiership is tickety-boo at the moment I think the finances aren't tickety-boo I think that there are issues there but again new commercial deals, deals are being sought all the time but I think the um, I think the standard of rugby is very high mm. And, 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 and the fact of none of the clubs are challenging in the semi-finals of, of Europe is, you know, we'll see what happens next year and the year after. I, I, I don't take one year as, as a snapshot and, and panic. It, it's, uh, we've always the league's always produced fantastic players, fantastic teams, and uh, I think it'll continue. Steve Diamond, uh, who will take his shark side to the Falcons on Friday night, and we will be there as, well, 7 o'clock, BT Sport 1 and 4K UHD, fifth against sixth, the hunt for the playoffs. Uh, and they're still in the shout for the title as well. I mean, let's not, let's not just talk about the playoffs here. Uh, th this is not the most sophisticated question I'll, I'll have asked this season, but what on earth is going on at those two clubs? 
Yeah, it's a real change in fortunes, and I don't think anyone outside of Newcastle or Cell would have seen this coming. Uh, Newcastle have been building, talk about infrastructure, a 4G pitch, Dave Walder as a attack-minded coach, but the same at Cell. And this season we've seen a massive shift, and it certainly favours the more attacking sides. And I look at the nines and the tens at Cell and Newcastle, and it makes perfect sense. AJ McGinty last year wasn't his best season. Tell you what, he's kicking everything that's thrown at him, and he's really orchestrating the backline really well. That Faf combination, I was going to say, that combination with Faf de Klerk. Just superb. Absolutely superb. It works for them. We see the same up at um, Newcastle as well. Toby Flood, well, he's been brought back. And they've got Takalua, probably one of the most underrated number nines in the Premiership. So two really good head-to-heads there. But outside of that, the likes of your O'Connors, your Solomonas, your Yards. And the same could be said at Newcastle. Is there more devastating wing partnership in the league than Gonover and Sonotti Sonotti? No. I just don't know. No. So unless they're either they're orchestrating things by shape and attack and patterns, or you've got likes of Gonover who pops up and sticks his hand up like Alan Shearer and runs in from 40, <laughs> or Sonotti Sonotti turns people inside out in two or three metres. So they've got game breakers and they coach obviously very well. But yes, because they're attack-minded, this season's most definitely suiting those guys. And I've got to say, for the Premiership and its coverage across England, it's brilliant to see teams yep. in the North going really well. What, what really impressed me about Sale um, last Friday, and, and, and to my shame, I've not seen them an awful lot in the flesh this year, but what really caught my eye beyond, beyond those shiny backs that you've talked about was just the brutality of the pack. And they made some outstanding signings over the summer. John O'Ross came in from Star Francais, Josh Strauss... I, and and I, they, they beat Wasps physically up front as much as anything last week. That's very true. I played with John O'Ross at Harlequins before he went to Stad, and um, he's your archetypal South African back row bloke. He'll run into anything 20, 30 times a game, and he'll get up and he'll do it again. You need that. You know, I, I'll wax lyrical about every back line, but I do firmly believe, and you've got to accept, it doesn't happen unless you're given a platform. We could say exactly the same thing in reverse for Bath. Wonderful backline, don't have the pack to do it. So all power to Newcastle and Sale. For me, that's the game of the weekend. And what a... Fr oh, that's my birthday. Friday 13th. Friday the 13th. Yeah, it's not a good birthday. It's not. Is no, it? No, but a good, a good day to celebrate your 45th birthday. Well, I know so when we... Um, <laughs> We wish you many, many... Piper um, slippers on, I'll be tuning in, listening yeah, to you. Exactly. Uh, Ali, actually, because oh, it's, it's a match for the old-timers. <laughs> um, <laughs> if I had to put you on the spot, which of those two sides is best placed to make the playoffs and then maybe even challenge for the title? Neither have particularly easy run-ins. Sale finish with a game against Leicester. Newcastle home to Wasps on the last day of the season. Yeah, not the run-ins either those two would have wanted, but both well-equipped to be able to deal with it. Friday night is a tough one to call. It really is. I think you've got to favour the home side just naturally. Um, but it's a funny one. I can see Newcastle winning on Friday, and this isn't going to make any sense, but I think Sale are better equipped to play playoff rugby. I, I, I just think they are. I think there's probably a little bit more steel about it. But regardless... Well, if they make the playoffs, they're going to go away from home, aren't they? I mean, we can say that with, with some conviction. Yes. Um, I can't see anyone beating Exeter um, at Sandy Park. And if it was to be Saracens finish at Alliance, I can't see anyone beating anyone at um, Saracens Alliance. But regardless of whether, where these guys finish, and it might be outside the top four, they, this season will definitely go down as a success. 
They'll both be frustrated if they don't get into the playoffs, but the work which Dean Richards, Steve Diamond, and both their players' sets of groups are doing is just marvellous. They've brought a passion, um, a pride back to the north of rugby in the Premiership, and that is a job well done. Um, Saturday, Gloucester against Quinns. Quinns reaching for the Factor 30, or are they going to derail Gloucester's... Playoff, playoff. This is a tough one to call. I expect to see reactions on both sides. Gloucester will be frustrated at tactically how poor they were against Exeter. Harlequins, well, they're just playing for pride. They're playing for John Kingston more than anyone, I think, for three rounds to go. I genuinely couldn't call that, but Gloucester have to win if they've got any ambition of finishing in the top four. Our second live game of the weekend is at, is at Welford Road, and it's, it's just huge. The East Midlands derby, Leicester against Northampton, half past two, BT Sport 2 uh, and 4K UHD. You look at what Leicester have been doing over the last couple of months and one name keeps cropping up as um, the catalyst, I guess, to a certain extent. Their, their new forwards coach, Mark Batewell, we went up to see him this week to, um, to have a little bit of a chat about the Batewell effect. Mark, as, as, as impacts go... You'll be happy enough with the way uh, this has gone so far, Wayne. Uh, <laughs> no, look, I, I couldn't be happier, really. I think we've uh, we've done well over the, the past five games, and uh, I think it was just a little bit. I, I probably uh, switched on the light globe a little bit. Um, you know, it's it's not a major thing. It's just uh, you bring in a, a new set of eyes and new set of ears, and it helps. So, the decision to come here mid-season when you were herring towards the Premiership with Bristol yeah. surprised. People. Why, yeah. why make the move at that point? Um, I think, look, there's a, there's a few parts to it. Um, firstly, I had an honest conversation with Pat Lamb at Bristol and he, you know, we both spoke about the fact that my, my style of coaching is, is probably beneficial to Leicester and suits Leicester. And as I said, we had a very honest conversation about it. And to be fair to Pat, he, uh, he let me out of my contract. Um, why didn't it suit Bristol? Um, look, I don't, I don't think it's so much, it wasn't that it suited Bristol, I think it was more about me suiting here. And that was the, that was the honest part of the conversation, I, th- I just think that... Um, so what's that about? What is it about you that suits here? I don't know, I think it's my, uh, my honesty, my hard work. Uh, I think it's just the fact that, I, you know, I, I understand the culture that is required in this part of the world to have a pack mentality. And I think the, the elements of the Leicester game that were probably not as positive as they should be, I think I can tick the boxes in those areas. So I was lucky enough to get this opportunity and I was lucky enough to walk into an environment that has the foundations to obviously do very well, but was missing a few ingredients um, to make them successful up front. So I've addressed those and they, they haven't been major issues. It was the first thing to do was, was to look at how hard they were working. They weren't working hard enough. They weren't working for each other. Um, were they producing quality ball for the backs? No, they weren't. Uh, were they happy to make errors? Yes, they were. So all that sort of stuff's unacceptable. Did they have a pack culture? No, they didn't. Things like boxing at 6.30 on a Monday morning, if we don't play well as a forward pack, uh, creates culture. You know, reviewing every session we do with detail. Firstly, you give them clarity, you set standards and you make them accountable. If there's no clarity, you can't set standards and you can't make them accountable. So with everything that we do as a pack now, I, I stand by that. 
and I call everyone out, including myself. And I'm the first person who puts their hand up on a Monday morning. If I've done something wrong, I'll put my hand up because I want these boys not to be scared of, of admitting that they've failed or they haven't done the right thing. What I don't tolerate is blokes that don't work hard and aren't good people. It's probably my biggest thing is you work, work bloody hard and be a good person. And that's the basis um, to build success off. Um, and then as I said, give them some clarity, set some standards and make them accountable. Mark, we've, um, we've drawn up some statistics. Um, Leicester, before you arrived and Leicester yeah. Since, yeah. since you've been here, it'll make interesting reading. Which of those numbers catch your eye immediately? Without sounding disrespectful at all, the one that catches my eye is just the, the five wins that we've had since I've been here, which I'm really proud of. Look, the carries, the metres, yeah, look, they're all, they're all good. The dominant collisions. Um, and I think that, like, I, I could quote any of those stats. I just think, for me, it was just making them aware. As I said, the one-on-one -on -one interviews were really good because when I'm sitting there with a guy who's 120 kilos and we've got guys that are making ne negative carries in the forwards in, in, a, in a pack that's supposed to dominate, there's something wrong. And yeah. so winning collisions, dominating carries, um, you know, that, that should be a given. How do you teach that though? Because if it wasn't it, it, happening before, why wasn't it happening before? But it's, it's a mental thing. It's like we're playing Northampton this week, as you know, and, and so much of our game is mental. Um, Northampton are in a massive hole. Are they, t are they bad players? They're not bad players. Can they lift for this game? Massively. They could lift this, for this game and that's it. They could come out and play the game of the season. So it's, it's, not a, it's not a matter of all of a sudden you're improving someone. It's a matter of, of making them more aware of the impact of what they're doing or what they're not doing. So the simple thing when you've got a 120 kilo guy, you know, you can say, look, you need to step into space at the last minute rather than run over the top of them. Or so, so, although some of our, our guys, maybe Logo and Genji, prefer to run over the top of guys. But, you know, if you, if you can, the technical part about using footwork and running, stepping into space, etc., you know, that's a 30 second conversation. And it's something they've been told for probably the last 10, 15 years. But if they're made to feel that they're letting their mates down and letting themselves down, letting their families down, letting the club down, because they're not carrying hard. For me, if, if that was me, I, I'd want to run through a brick wall because I don't want to let down my teammates. I don't want to let down myself. I don't want to let down my family. I want to, do, want to be perceived that in doing the right thing. And as I say, those sort of things are just, they're just, as I said, it's like flicking on a light switch. It's, hey boys, you, you're not doing the right thing, you know? And it's, you know, the, the, the stats that aren't in there are the set piece quality ball stats. We've worked a hard, really hard on producing quality balls for the backs. You know, trying to catch the ball in the line out with one hand in a maul. You know, all that's when we're trying to maul, things like that. Unless you absolutely have to. No, you don't do it. You control the ball perfectly until the nine's got it or till the ball is over the line or till we've got a penalty. You don't sort of switch off 80% through your job. You know, and that's, that's the thing that we've worked hard on in our unit sessions is, is ensuring that we don't accept mediocrity. You know, we set standards and, you know, today we did our unit session. At the beginning of the unit session, our, our line-out attack, we were lacking cohesion. But I'm, I'm, I, I didn't pull it apart then and there, but when we review it, I'll pull it apart. And I'll say, no, no, that's not acceptable. You know, we need to get everything right every step of the way. And if we need to warm up longer to ensure that when we start our session that it's 100%, then we do that, you know. So it's breaking everything down. So 
Are you surprised though how quickly you've made that impact or how quickly they have, have improved as a, as a bunch of blokes? Making them aware of the fact this is Leicester and making them aware of the enormity of the pride that they should have wearing the jumper and, and the fact that Leicester forwards are known in Europe for being, and worldwide, for being nasty, horrible, disciplined, relentless forward packs. And that's what I want to create. And I don't want to jump on the back of anything that was done here before. I, I, as I said to them, you, you didn't do that. So don't jump on the back of it. And I'm not. I walked in and said, right, it's an honour to be here and all you guys need to feel exactly the same way. Otherwise, get out. Don't be here. Go somewhere else and play somewhere else. So I'm lucky to be in this position. I'm lucky, as I said, Matt, Matt basically said to me, you, you do what you need to do. You put the growl back in. Oh, I hope so. I like that. It's fascinating to talk to him this week, Hughes, because as much as he has put little technical things straight, he's, he's, he's cleared out a, a few complications that he thought had built up over the last couple of seasons. Essentially, he's looked every single player in the squad in the eye and said, are you giving your all? Are you playing as well as you can play at the moment? Are you filling this shirt that you ought to be filling? Do you know what? It's such a simple question, but such an empowering, empowering one. Um, and I guess the undertone of that question is the one thing he wants to install into his squad is a trust and an honesty. And if you've got two of those things, you can develop a culture. And if you've got a decent culture, you've got a decent team. But you've got to be bright enough to ask that question first. And he certainly is. So... I love that's his first question because he's come in to obviously make a change to Leicester. And most people consider a large proportion of what coaches do technical. And of course it is. But before he's got to anything technical, he wants to know if they're working hard enough. And if you're not, then let's not even bother with the technical stuff. Come back to me when you think you're working hard enough. And then we can talk about body angles and scrum, rucking and mauling and shape and everything else. And that's a bright guy. They've recruited so well. The difference he's made the last two months is the difference between Leicester not being in the top four and them certainly being in it. And on the few occasions they haven't worked hard on debate, well, Gloucester away, you've got the half past six boxing session at Oval Park Monday morning. <laughs> Something to look forward to. Oh my gosh, half past six on a Monday. I mean, it's old, it's, it's old school. They don't want us to talk about what Leicester did previously, but that's the template that they know they're always going to be judged against. It's brilliant. I mean, even your punishment's a work rate implied punishment. You know, you're up in the morning, you're boxing, you're fighting, because he wants people to fight in this team. I don't mean physically, well, I kind of do mean physically, <laughs> but technically on the pitch, that's for sure. Yeah. So Tiger Saints will be um, getting a fair share of our attention on Saturday. Uh, on the other side of the Midlands, Wasps against Worcester. It seems straightforward, but I'm, I'm hesitating for some reason. Yeah, it, it's... Um... It's a funny fixture. Of course, on the face of it, Wasp win, they win comfortably, they win with five points. Fortunately for Wasp, Newcastle sell will take points of one another and that will alleviate some pressure. And by Saturday, they'll know exactly what they have to do. Um, but yes, um, they'll have to bounce back from a disappointing result against Sale. They'll be hoping that Danny Cipriani is fully recovered to take the 10 shirt for them. But just because they have to win, I definitely think they will. Not many people have gone up to the Rico and come away with any points. So, yeah, a win for Wasps and in, back into fourth place, I'd have thought. And whatever happens, actually, f for the Warriors, um, if Irish lose to Chiefs on, on the Sunday, three o'clock kickoff, then the Warriors can look forward to another season of Premiership rugby. 
eventually the rug is going to be pulled out from underneath the exiles' feet, and you you just kind of think it might be this weekend. I think so. I mean, they were you know heroic in their performance last week against Harlequins, but can they emotionally and physically back it up against the Chiefs that? Rob Baxter said, we don't want to limp to the playoffs. We want to be peaking, and they certainly showed that against Gloucester. I can't see anything but an extra Chiefs win. Um, and a great day for them is going to be a desperately sad one for London Irish, as they'll probably confirm their, the fact that they're back into the championship next season. Yeah, they'll be here next season. They'll be um, playing uh, in Ealing uh, against the trail finders here in, here in West London, if, uh, if that happens final game of the weekend is uh, is our live game half past two on bt sport one saracens against bath um the way saracens are playing at the moment you can't see anything other than than another bath defeat yeah unfortunately for them uh todd blacko the season's probably going to go from bad to worse they're pretty much out of the top four and they're just clinging on to hopes of european rugby next season but that's been pulled away from them as well saracens on a charge um looked imperious against northampton especially in the second half this should be a fairly routine result for saracens and that's no disrespect to bath saracens are just that good at home and I've got to say, from last year, where they had the distractions and a welcome distraction, no one's crying for Saracens of a Champions Cup final no, to play for. Yeah. This narrows their mindset. This sharpens their focus. There's only one trophy Saracens can win this year. And in that mindset, the likes of Billy Vanapola on his way back, yeah, um, Saracens, you'd imagine, will confirm a home semi final come 5.30 or 5 o'clock on Sunday. Um, we need to wrap this up quickly, but just a point that JP Doyle made last week, chatting to him before the game um, uh, at the AJ Bell. It, he said that you look at what's happened to the team who finish sixth each season and therefore scrape in as one of the lowest seeds in the Champions Cup the following season uh, and therefore more often than not get battered by Europe's better teams in the pool stages. They really struggle the following season in the Premiership. And, and to a certain extent, uh, as much as Bath are pushing for sixth, you could argue that sixth place in the Premiership is a, is a bit of a poison chalice. I had this very conversation at the start of the season with some Harlequin supporters. They said, oh, it's great that we've snuck into the Champions Cup. I said, geez, but you don't want it to be a distraction from the Premiership. That's your bread and butter. And it served as that. I mean, there's been other reasons, but I think it's a really good point from JP Dole. So, uh, yeah, if Bath weren't to be in the Champions Cup, yes, it's going to affect them, but it might just mean that that focus on the Premiership can be all-encompassing next season. Yeah. Um, right, so where are you this weekend? Where are you I'm celebrating your birthday? Oh, I'll be celebrating it. Listen to Ali Eakin. You won't. You're going to be in, in one of your exclusive <laughs> London clubs, aren't you? <laughs> Members if, only. If my missus will allow me. She's not invited. <laughs> <laughs> that ain't going to happen. No. Uh, are, you, are you doing any work this weekend? Yes, just, I am. I'll be um, doing Saracens against Bath on Sunday. And you've got a couple of games this weekend. I have, yeah. I'm uh, doing Leicester against Northampton Saturday. Brilliant and uh, we'll, we'll, um, we'll give you a belated birthday hug on uh, on Sunday at Allianz Park. So three games starting on Friday, Kingston Park, BT Sport 1, 4K UHD. Saturday, Welford Road, sold out Welford Road. The old rivals at it again, BT Sport 2 and 4K UHD. Uh, and then that um, Saracens Bath game on the Sunday. That's it. Um, all we've got, hey, well, we've covered a lot. Thank you very much, Hughes. That was um, like a very busy that was fun. It was serious. It was serious at the beginning, and then it became increasingly more shambolic <laughs> towards the end, uh, which we feel much more comfortable with. Uh, next week, rugby tonight, back in the studio. There's no Champions League football, so we've got the Palace uh, to ourselves without the round ballers. 
um, all the stuff, the usual weekend roundup, the news and the previews and uh, the special guest. Uh, be sure to subscribe to this podcast. Leave us a nice rev- uh, review if you've enjoyed the show. Leave us a nice one if you haven't. Uh, thanks very much for listening. See you soon. Cheers, then. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.